Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Wasn't that amazing and inspiring, seeing such a range of different projects, pieces of work, caring for God's creation. My sort of takeaways from it are that it's all about being local, about being passionate, about being committed, and being God-focused. So many of those projects are about local people coming together, passionate about the sense of space and the sense of place in which they live. They come with a real passion to achieve something and to be involved, gathering other people around them. It's kind of infectious passion to care. They come with huge commitment, and I imagine many of those projects had many ups and downs as they went along, many joyous happy moments, but also, I imagine, some tear-filled, anxious times, and when people felt, gosh, is this really worth doing? And yet they kept on. And God-focused, both in terms of loving God and loving our neighbor. Loving God in the care of this gift of God's creation that is shared with all of us and loving our neighbors, our neighbors very locally, but our neighbors also globally. I was so struck today by speaking to various indigenous people about the wisdom they carry, about their commitment to the land, how they are guardians and great stewards. In the Blue Zone this morning, we were discussing the protection of forests and forest environments around the world, seeking commitments from global leaders to stop deforestation, stop the degradation of forests, and start to restore them and see them rejuvenated more. And I was struck actually by the President of the United States, Joe Biden, who ended his words really sharply by saying, summon the will, we can do this, it will have a generational impact. Let's pray that the leaders of the world have as much passion and commitment and stability as we've seen these projects demonstrate. And this local and international, global, that we're holding together during these two weeks is really important because we can each do our part, play our part, commit our part, whether in our families, our schools, or our influence in a nation, or encouraging those who can influence the nations of the world, using our voice too in protest, in lament, and encouragement to bring about influence. And somebody who has done so much to enable the church to think theologically about creation care, who has been passionate in the way she lives out her life, in how she is so utterly committed 
to the care of creation is my friend Ruth Valeria. Ruth, it's a huge privilege to have you here tonight. I know you're doing all sorts of things during COP, but thank you for coming and sharing some of your collected wisdom from these days. Ruth is the Director of Advocacy and Influencing at Tear Fund. And Ruth, you are most welcome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Bishop Graham. Uh, thank you for inviting me here today. Uh, thank you for the, those of you who are here in person and to those of you watching online as well, you're really welcome. And it's such an honor and a privilege to be here and to sit and watch that video. Do you know, you come to COP to these talks really full of hope but also full of a little bit of realism and not quite sure as to quite where we're going to get to at the end. But watching the video and seeing the different projects, um, and as Graham was saying, just that passion and the commitment and the tenacity fills me with hope. I am so often asked, in fact, I can probably guarantee everywhere I go, the question I will be asked is, do I have any hope? And watching that video is one of the things that I can answer that does give me hope. And I do see hope in the different projects that we see here around the United Kingdom, in the different projects that I'm involved with supporting around the world, seeing Christians and people of other faiths rising up, engaging, getting to grips with the climate crisis that we're facing fills me with hope. So I am absolutely delighted in the midst of the other things that I'm going to be doing that I could take this hour to be at something so positive and so hope-filled. I'm here with my team from Tear Fund, and we're around doing a variety of things. Some of us are in the blue zones, some of us are outside doing speaking engagements and supporting the church and the different campaign things that are happening. And one of my privileges is that as a team, we have been able to bring over just a few people from outside of the UK to be with us and to speak with us and to, to share these couple of weeks with us. And I just want to tell you about them. One person is called Hockerbed, and she is an indigenous theologian from the Guna people in Panama. And Graham was already mentioning around people from indigenous communities and just the richness of what we can be learning from them and from the, the, the inherent connection that so often people from indigenous communities have with the wider natural world. We have also brought over a woman called Cookie from India and a man called Promise from Nigeria. Why have we brought them here? Because all of them in different ways are experiencing firsthand the impacts of the climate crisis. Hockerbed is from Panama 
and she is seeing the, her islands, the island that her, her community inhabits, she is seeing her islands coming under threat as the seas rise around her. Cookie from India is experiencing firsthand and with the communities that she is involved with, serv with serving, is experiencing the droughts that they have there and then also flooding. I have uh, another colleague who is Indian and has been able to get back recently and see her family and has been traveling around India and showing me the pictures of the awful flooding that is being experiencing, that is being experienced, and then the devastating loss of crops that are happening. And people are literally starving. We are seeing world hunger increase, having made such positive steps in 2016, we saw world hunger increase for the first time, and now, year on year since 2016, it is getting worse and worse. And Promise is here from Nigeria, from the Jos Plateau State, and he is a, a wonderful man engaged with something called the Jos Green Centre, a young climate activist. And in his area, he and his community experience climate change. They also experience both flooding and drought. And the drought that they are seeing then increases the ethnic tensions and leads to terrible conflicts that some of us may well be aware of that's being experienced in northern Nigeria. It's such a, a joy to have them with us, and we wanted to bring them over because, of course, it is so important that we are hearing from people who are right at the, at the front, who are bearing the impacts of the climate crisis. At Tear Fund, we hear every day the devastating impacts that the climate crisis is having on people living in poverty. As we uh, have seen climate increasing in our agendas over recent decades, it has changed from being something that is a prediction. I know decades ago when I was talking on these issues, it was a prediction. If we don't do this now, this will happen in decades to come. And it's been a, an awful thing for me to realize that we have flipped over from prediction into reality. This isn't about something in the future, as important as the future is. This is a recognition that we are in a climate emergency now. And it's an issue of justice. 3.5 billion people, the economically poorest 3.5 billion people in our world, only cause 10% of global emissions and yet they are the ones who are suffering the consequences. And we're here at COP26 to push our world governments to be keeping within the safer limit of 1.5 degrees. Why? Because there is a huge difference between 1.5 and 2 degrees. That difference is around droughts lasting twice as long if we reach 2 degrees. It's about 116 million more people struggling to get water. It's about four times as many cyclones hitting countries. And if we were to reach two degrees, we would see 12 million more people flooded in coastal areas. 
So we're here to stand together in solidarity with people in poverty all around the world. And why does that matter for us as Christians? There's a passage that I just keep coming back to again and again and again over recent months, and it's Psalm 113, which is a wonderful psalm of praise to God. Praise the Lord, you servants. Praise the name of the Lord. The Lord's name is to be praised both now and forevermore. He's exalted over the nations. His glory is above the heavens, and it goes on and goes on. This almighty, majestic, amazing God that the psalmist is just pouring uh, his, presumably, praises out to God. But there's one characteristic that the psalmist focuses on around this amazing God who is glorious. And that characteristic is that he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. What an amazing characteristic to pull out about our God. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And our little actions, and we've seen some big actions as well today, are all part of us responding to our worship of this God who raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap, and who calls us to do the same. We are called to spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. And our little and our big actions will contribute towards us being able to do that. So let's celebrate this evening. This evening is an evening of hope. It's an evening of goodness. It's an evening where we see real practical demonstration of how we are worshipping this God who raises the poor from the dust. Every action that we do counts. So thank you very much. Thank you on behalf of so many people. And I hope what we've seen this evening will inspire you in your churches to be doing likewise. Ruth, thank you very much, and with that call to hope, to goodness, and to action. We're going to move on to hear now from Richard Black, the Senior Associate at the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit, who has been in the Blue Zone today with some reflections. He's also a former BBC Environment correspondent. Richard, you are most welcome. Well, thanks. Thanks very much, Graham. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. So, um, as, as, as Graham said, I am senior associate with the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit, which is a very long name for a very small organisation. But um, we have—I uh, I, I was director until the end of last year—and we've had um, wonderful uh, representatives from the Church of England working with us uh, during the seven years' journey. Right, Reverend Richard Charters, the former Bishop of London, who some of you uh, may remember, and more recently Bishop Nick, who's been the the previously the church's lead bishop for the environment, so it's been a pleasure. Um, so um, I, basically, I was thinking about um, the kind of year, two years that we've had, very, very strange two years. And one of the things that's really impressed me during that time is the elderly. So my mother's now in her 80s, and she has a lot of friends who are in their 80s. And they've coped 
overall with COVID lockdown and so on. I think a lot better than people of uh, younger generations. And I've, 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 I often ask why, and I think one thing about um, certainly my mum and her group of friends is that they don't overthink, they do. So if you're feeling down, you get busy. And I know it's not a philosophy that works for everyone, but I, I, it, it, seem, it does seem for, for her and her friendship group to, to have kept them really, really sort of sane and, and, and on the level. And um, in the, I think this has relevance to climate change because um, over the years, um, a lot of environment organisations and scientists and so on have tried to connect people with the climate crisis by talking about the impacts. Now, we need to know about the impacts. It's absolutely true. But if it, it can lead either to a feeling of, right, I'm going to do something about this, or it can lead to a kind of fatalism and there's nothing I can do and a kind of paralysis. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine today who, who told me that, you know, that there is going to be an opinion survey uh, coming out quite soon, maybe even this week, um, looking at youngsters worldwide. And a, a large proportion of them are feeling fatalistic now about the climate crisis. They're really feeling that there's nothing they can do. I've argued for a long time that actually, if you want to connect people with this issue, rather than focusing on the problem, focus on the solution. Because when you do something, you can engage with it. And you are contributing to the solution in however small or however big a way. And as we saw from all those examples, this is exactly what what these groups of people have decided to do. And as well as doing something that works concretely for climate change or biodiversity, um, it, it makes them feel good as well. You can see the empowerment and the agency coming through in, in those little films. It's not something, of course, that we is unique to the UK. One of my favourite ever stories about um, nature protection. Um, I, I used to work years and years and years ago for the BBC World Service and I used to work with the, the Far Eastern service. And at one point, there was a group of Thai monks, Thai Buddhist monks, who wanted to um, tackle deforestation in, in eastern Thailand. They ordained, ordained about 60 million trees. That meant those trees couldn't be cut down. Fantastic idea. So that is leadership in action by people just doing something that worked in that particular context. You'll probably have heard of Wangari Maathai, the, the, the Kenyan activist who, who led, really single-handed, created this movement for reforestation in, in Eastern Africa. So leadership, getting on with things, doing something, it's a, it makes you feel good and it achieves something as well. And down at COP26 today, we've had a welter of announcements coming from governments and groups, groups of governments. And again, some of them are better than others. Some of them are, you know, a bit flim-flam, but others uh, have got some meaningful content as well. But again, what that tells you is that it always needs one or two to lead, to start something. So one of the announcements that we will be having later in, and I can talk about it because it is already in the public domain, some of you probably heard of it, you know, it's very clear now, if we're, if we're going to get out of the climate crisis, we basically need to stop producing fossil fuels. The consumption of fossil fuels is probably where we need to put most of the effort, but actually the production is a, is a real thing as well. So we're going to see later, you know, later in the meeting, Denmark and Costa Rica trying to launch a global alliance of countries who are basically saying, right, we're not going to explore for fossil fuels anymore, and we're going to set an end date for when we're going to extract them. That's the kind of leadership from nations that really makes a difference. And there are so many examples of this. 
Germany 20 years ago invested massively in solar panels. Actually, a lot of that was, was from communities in the countryside who wanted to have more, more ownership over their energy production. That investment by German government and German farmers and German industry created a, a huge industry in making solar panels that then got taken up by Chinese and Indian factories who could do it much cheaper and as a result that we now have much cheaper solar power. That was leadership by, by that group, by, by, by that one country. You can think of the UK um, setting the Climate Change Act in 2008. There are lots of things that are very imperfect about the UK's record, but that Climate Change Act has now been copied and replicated in a number of other countries, Denmark, New Zealand, Ireland even. So, you know, you, you do that leadership thing and other people will, will learn from it and, and will take something. And this is one of the things that I really have enjoyed whenever I've come uh, to speak at events like this connected with, with the church because churches are visible within a community. And in, in some cases, literally visible, as we saw from the example of the community gardens. But it, churches can lead in the community and not take no for an answer and just do stuff and be a model that other people can then take. And in the process, of course, every time a church installs something like a ground source heat pump, the price of that will come down a little bit because the more of these things are made, the more competition there is in the market, the quicker the prices will come down and that will benefit, benefit everyone. So leadership, an example, and I, I just I just want to end with a sort of slight 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 rant about the um, the opponents of climate change, who will accuse people like you, probably most of you, of being doom mongers. They're the doom mongers because their whole philosophy is it it won't work. You can't do it. There's no point. No one else is going to bother. Um, you probably saw the story that was created a, a, about a week ago by this. A fairly pathetic PR person who uh, said he did an opinion poll which claimed to show that British people want a referendum on, the, on net zero with the implication that British people don't want the UK to, to, to achieve its net zero target. It's the most dismal kind of way of looking at things, of engaging with things. Let, let, let's just slow, let's just slow down. Let's just have a, let's just have a think again. Maybe people won't go for this. Um, and the, 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 the whole, what underpins it is this idea, it won't work, we can't do it. And, and I really want to celebrate every example, whether it's a country, a business, a community group, an individual, that just doesn't have any truck with that and says, no, I'm gonna do this. And so I really thank you for the invitation tonight because it's been inspiring, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.